Good morning. Um, last week, we finished up chapter four in James. Um, this week, we are going to dive into chapter five, which is the last chapter. Um, so we're wrapping things up. Um, we're only going to go through the first five verses of James uh, five today. Um, kind of spend some time on it. Uh, so before we get into that, we always need to make sure that we um, understand and comprehend the three things, right? The author, the audience, and the context. Um, so James is basically pastoring the first Christian church in Jerusalem. Um, so let's make sure that we don't lose sight of that. I know I know, I harp on that, and I've, I've said that several times, but it's important because everything that we have discussed up to this point has been going on in his congregation, um, in this group that he's shepherding, right? That's what I mean by he's pastoring them. So again, you're going to hear it to death. These are believers. These are people that in the last chapter, in chapter four, James has declared some of them as adulterers because they claim to be under the authority of Christ, but they committed spiritual adultery. They are unfaithful against Christ because um, of the open sin that is in the church, you know, and then James is then commanding them to reconcile themselves back under the authority of Christ to resist the devil and to fully submit to God. Um, so just, just a couple quick things, I, you know, people might think, okay, well, he's talking about backsliders here. I don't necessarily know that that's true. So we can't really just make that statement. What it seems like it's one of two things. It's either a, um, the ignorance of, of those who believe, and he is bringing that knowledge to them, or um, more likely it's people that that claimed to believe but didn't ever really submit to God. And we kind of talked, well, we did. We talked about that pretty thoroughly last week. So now he starts chapter 5 off by addressing the wealthy people in the church. Um, so we're going to be kind of picking on them today. Um, not us, but James is specifically, uh, I want to make it crystal clear though, before we really, um, get started that there is nothing sinful about well, about being wealthy. Okay. Nothing sinful about being wealthy wealth in and in and of itself is not sin. And we know that because Abraham was incredibly wealthy, um, and that he walked with God, uh, you know, he had to be justified by faith, just like the rest of us, but nothing about his wealth made him sinful. So what James wants to talk about this week is how did you get that wealth? Is that sinful? What are you doing with that, with that wealth? And do you have a sinful attitude about your wealth? So if you think back, uh, it's been a few weeks, I think it was in chapter two, uh, we actually touched on wealth and I said that s some of the most wicked people that I've ever met uh, were poor right I've encountered people rich poor and anywhere in between uh, and there are righteous people in all of those groups and there are wretched people in all of those groups um, so wealth in and of itself is not the problem it's how it was acquired and what you're doing with it so when, when I say, um, when I continue to reiterate 
that we are talking to believers here. It's for this very, very clear and and simple purpose is that the scriptures are very specific about how we are to to deal with and to handle our brothers and sisters, those who claim the name of Christ, if they are living in sin, it, it speaks very clearly how we are to approach that. And it is not the same as how we approach those who who deny Christ. Okay, it is it's completely different. Um, the scriptures actually say that those are servants of Satan and they are serving their masters. So you cannot just take a... Um, prescription of how you handle these things and and blanket it across all these different um, social groups uh, or or bodies of believers or or those who are opposed to it you, we, we I talked about this last week we tend to make these blanket statements and most of which are ne- uh, most of them are not entirely true Um and definitely not all all of the time. So we need to be careful. He's talking to believers here. He's speaking to us, um, and he's also showing us how we are to uh, behave in these types of circumstances. So we are in uh, chapter five. I'm, again, I'm reading out of New King James. If you want to check me, um, and I'm going to do something different this week. We're going to go through all five verses first. So we're going to go through and read them, and then we're going to come back and and kind of talk about them just a little, okay? So um, I'm going to be looking at the scriptures over here, in case you're wondering, is what I'm doing. Uh, so in verse 1, he says, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded, and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasure in the last days. Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out, and the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of, I believe, I'm just going to pronounce that Sabbath. You have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury. You have fattened your hearts as in a day of slaughter. So he starts out by saying, come now you rich, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Pretty harsh right out of the gate, right? This is a call. This is a call to repentance. And we'll, we're going to be discussing that more here in just a few minutes about, about that repentance. And then he says, um, your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth eaten. Right, uh, your gold and silver are corroded, and their corrosion will be a witness against you, and will eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasure in the last days. Let's pause there. In the last days, when are the last days? It's it's now. Okay, we are currently living in the last days. Um, you can go back through the scriptures. And really find that out. You know, some people think the last days are like the end times. Some, but, but the last days they're referring to, um, ordinarily, just to kind of summarize it, is after Christ's ascension, before 
his second coming to where he comes to conquer. So these are the last days. Um, and I don't mean, you know, the end is nigh and all that stuff. What I'm saying is, is we are living in these last days that he's uh, talking about because he said, you, you have heaped up treasure in the last days. So if he, if we've heaped up treasure in the last days and he's talking to them, then this was, you know, a couple thousand years ago, basically, if he's talking to them, then, and they were in the last days then, then clearly the days aren't over. So he's also talking to us here. And then he says, Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out, and the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabbath. You have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury. You have fattened your hearts as in a day of slaughter. Okay. Now what I'm going to do, is I'm going I'm to move this out of the way so I can kind of talk to you directly. Um, and make sure you, you're, you're looking at your scriptures here because we're going to hit on this a little bit. Okay, so these men, these men here he's, he's talking to were using their wealth for selfish purposes. Okay, and they were persecuting the poor in the process. James is concerned here about the selfishness of the rich and advised them to weep and to repent. So he's saying all of you who are wealthy in this congregation, uh, and he's going to talk about why, you don't need to be so full of yourself because of your wealth. You don't need to be full of yourself. What you really should be doing is weeping about the state that we now find you, uh, that we now find you in because you don't have anything to be proud of. But as a matter of fact, you should be ashamed at the way that you're living. Then he begins to talk about why they should be ashamed. He says, first, you are holding back wages. You're holding back wages. Now, Deuteronomy 24, verses 14 and 15. Okay, let me say that again. Deuteronomy 24, 14 and 15. This is what they say. You shall not oppress a hired servant who is poor and needy, whether one of your brethren or one of the aliens who is in your land within your gates. Each day you shall give him his wages and not let the sun go down on it, for he is poor and has set his heart on it, lest he cry out against you to the Lord and it be sin to you. So if you remember, we closed out last week's chapter by saying, for those of you who know what's right and you don't do it, it is sin. This, I mean, he's, you know, we added the, ch- the breaks in the letter here. So this is a continuation of what, what transpired last week. This is exactly what James is talking about. What was, what was written in Deuteronomy. So God gave very specific instructions concerning the laboring men because he was protecting them from oppressive employers. You know, there, there were no unions at this time. You were at the mercy of your employer. So God said, if you claim to be one of mine and you're an employer, I'm going to be very specific about the way that I expect you to treat the people who are working for you. And one thing that I don't want you to do is to promise them that they're going to be paid a certain wage and either you don't pay them at all or you don't pay them in a timely manner. You know, don't tell the guy 
that he's going to get a check or get paid on Friday when he's counting on that. And then you say, well, you know, I just didn't get around to that today. I'll, I'll try to have it for you next week. I mean, that's detrimental for, for anyone that's ever lived paycheck to paycheck. You know how, how much of a struggle that is um, that, that, you know, you rely on that. And if something gets hung up, well, that weekend is rough. Um, but the thing is, is they didn't just forget, right? It's deliberate. So James is telling them, telling these, these uh, wealthy people in his congregation here, look, there's people that are not like you. These people that work for you are not like you. Otherwise, clearly they would have people working for them. You know, he's been waiting and depending on that money and now you've withheld it from him. So what's even worse is that most of these wealthy men were hiring people to come in and to work for them and then they weren't even paying them at all. They were keeping it for themselves. They were keeping it for themselves. Um, you know, this is not this idea of that, that you withheld it as in not only did you keep it, but you tell them that they're going to be paid, but then you really have no intention of doing that. Um, and then Jeremiah chapter 22, verse 13, it says, Woe to him who builds his house by unrighteousness and his upper rooms by injustice who makes his neighbor serve him for nothing and does not give him his wages. So remember, Jeremiah was also talking to God's people. This is not something new that the church was dealing with. They're dealing with it in Deuteronomy and Jeremiah, and now they're dealing with it in James. Okay, this is not new. But James is telling uh telling these people he's talking primarily to a group of jews right with a few gentiles and he tells them these are the specific instructions that god gave us and since you you are claiming that you are god's people you should know this because it's been written about in the law previously so he's calling them out individually here calling them out individually when it says that these men weren't withholding some and keeping it for themselves. When you look back at the um, at the Greek word, it, it really means that they weren't paying them at all. Um, these these men were not pay were not paying them and really and had no intention of paying them. So what they were doing is they were letting them finish the work, and then they told them that they wouldn't be paid. Could you imagine that? And you know what they said? They said, "Well, what are you going to do about it?" What are you going to do about it? You know, he tells them, I mean, you rich men are coming into the church. You're employing these people, some of them your brothers, right? Then treating them like garbage. And now you should be weeping and you should be howling and you should be begging God for mercy for the way that you're treating these people who work for you. Have you... You know, you are sinning against God, not just God's people, but against himself and his name. Now, have any of you ever worked for someone that claims to be a Christian, but was one of the worst employers you've ever had? I've had I've had several. Doesn't it disgust you if you're a true follower of Jesus Christ and someone else claims that they are and they treat people, they treat people horribly doesn't it just make you sick? Because what they're doing is uh, they're blaspheming the name of the Most High God 
by treating their employees that way and using his name. They treat people poorly. They talk down to them. They don't serve them um, like they're supposed to, but instead they're, they expect their employees to come and you know sit at their footstool and they roll up to church on Sunday morning and they act like they're some sort of great person. If you are a man or woman of God and you have people who work for you, the thing that you want to hear is that they actually see Jesus in you. You know, they're not confused when you tell them that you go to church, right? (laughs) Uh, You know, they might say, you go to church? You go to church even with how you treat us? And you know what normally follows is, well, tell me where you go. You know why? They want to know where you go to church because they definitely don't want to go there. Not if this, not if this person, this employer who treats people unfairly and unjustly and abhorrently with hatred, they don't want to be, if this is a representation of what your church is, they don't want to be a part of that. And I wouldn't either. And I don't blame them. This is exactly what James is talking about. These men, you know, here's the issue. I mean, well, another issue, I should say, that these men were even paying off the courts. They were paying the judges. Because if someone had a claim against their employer, you know what they could do, especially if they were if they were poor? They could go to a judge. They could petition their case to him. And if the rich man paid him off, not only would the judge most of the time rule in the favor of the rich man, but then he would a lot of times throw the accuser in jail because he would say that he was um, bearing false witness against his employer. They, they could completely ruin someone's life because of their wealth. You know, they, um, and because of their wealth, they, they, could, they could do that really without thinking twice about it. And these are men of the church. So we all know the golden rule, right? Well, have you ever heard the other golden rule? Whoever has the gold makes the rules. That this is essentially what was being taught. Um, not just taught, but or I should say taught. This is what was being practiced in this in this group. Is that hey, I've got the money, I've got the power, so I've got the authority, and I'm going to bring you in and have you do whatever I want to, and then I'm going to do whatever I want to. So James is condemning them of this, and then he says, so now because you control their work. And you control the only recourse they have, then they have no way to come against you. They have no way, right? Could you imagine that if 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 you knew that was the case? If your employer did not pay you, but your employer paid off the judge that you were petitioning to, and that you knew that if you brought this to this corrupt judge, that he would throw you in jail. What could you do? What what could you do? You could do nothing. Um, not not without some really negative effects. So they would have nothing to be able to come against you as their employer. But here's the thing. It's not getting past God. It might be getting past these other judges, but he's telling him this is not going unnoticed or will not go unpunished. You might be paying off the courts, but you haven't paid off the ultimate judge. 
He knows how you're behaving, which is why you should be crying out in sorrow and in repentance. Right, right there in verse one, he tells him, you need to repent. And here's why, because the Lord of hosts, the Lord of the Sabbath, God almighty, right? He knows and he hears his children crying out to the, to him because of their injustice or the injustice that's being done against them. And then in verse five, James is condemning them on what they were doing with that wealth, right? They're hoarding it. They're hoarding it. They're using it to advance, or I'm sorry, they're not using it to advance the kingdom, but they're they're not using it to, to help others. They're simply just trying to hang on to it as much as they can, and they spend their whole lives trying to attain more and more, and their only real goal is to get more. Now, I don't want to knock individuals because I don't know them on a personal level, but but I love the show Shark Tank. Um, I love I love seeing these investors and 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 you know these entrepreneurs, and I, I love the stories and stuff. But it makes you wonder with some of these um, millionaire billionaires that that make all these really good financial decisions that you know what's their end goal here because when you think of somebody like bill gates and i'm not again i'm not throwing him to the wolves here but you think about somebody like that or um elon musk that has accumulated a huge amount of wealth what are they doing with it or is their goal just to get more because uh, for a lot of people that's the case they they just want more they want more they want more now don't under don't misunderstand me god speaks very plainly about setting up an inheritance for your family. Um, He tells us not to be foolish with what he's given us. But for those of us who have been blessed with much, I say us, I should say you, who have been blessed with much, God then says much is required. So if he has blessed you with much, you are required to do a lot with it, to be responsible. You know, the... Old Spider-Man saying, great power comes great responsibility. It's, it's, I mean, it sounds kind of foolish, but I'm sure that's where this, where that came from, where, where Stanley derived that from, is to him much is given, much is required. So Paul even tells us that it's perfectly fine to have possessions. He tells us later, it's fine to have possessions as long as you have an open hand with them, meaning that it isn't really important to you whether you have it or not. Um, it, it doesn't define you is a good way to, to describe it. If you ever want to know, if you ever want to know if, if your kids are too indulgent with their uh, smartphones and tablets, take it away from them. Take it away from them. Now, not to provoke anger, but... Watch how they act, because if they act like you've taken away oxygen, you're probably going to want to fix that. You're probably going to want to fix that and fix it immediately. They're probably hanging on too tight. And I would, and, and, and I'm, I'm promoting the same, uh, the same actions with ourselves. You know, go without your cell phone for a day, just a day. Just don't take it with you. Turn it off whatever don't get on it don't be scrolling through stuff. just go a day without it now obviously not everyone can do that i understand that business and stuff but don't get on it for anything other than calls and texts just try start out with that 
And if it's difficult for you, I would, I would submit to you that there may be a problem. Um, and that you would want to fix that immediately that you're hanging on too tight to those things. Um, so if you have any possession that means that much to you, it's a problem. Now there's nothing wrong with having it, whatever it may be, but if you care whether you have it or not, it's probably a problem. Like if you really care, if you think or feel fulfilled by possessions or even a specific one, that should be a red flag. You know, it's like what Paul said in Philippians. He said, I've had a lot, I've had a little, and I've had somewhere in between, and I've learned in Christ to be content wherever I'm at. You know, if I have stuff, thank you, Lord. If I don't have it, thank you, Lord. Now, I will say this is easier for for me um, because I haven't had much. (laughs) Um, But this is something that I've had to learn in recent years because when I was growing up, my family didn't have much of anything. Now, I, I know a lot of people say that, you know, because it's the underdog story, right? Everybody loves the underdog story. Everybody loves to hear the guy that, that comes from nothing and builds himself up, you know, Rocky. That's the reason why Rocky was such a success. Um, but when people say that, I don't necessarily know that, that they really had it more difficult than other people, and most of them probably didn't. But let me just give you a very, just a inkling of, of some of the stuff that I dealt with. Um, at one point, my family was over a year behind on their rent. Over a year. I think it was, if I remember right, uh, mom, if you're watching, I think it was somewhere around 14 months, maybe maybe even closer to 18. Um, now, don't misunderstand me. That was not because of my mother. My mother was a hard worker, always had at least two jobs, sometimes three, sometimes four. I mean, she, she, she's a worker now. Um, it was for some other reasons, which I won't get into today, but I, I'm just telling you this because, you know, I, I didn't have a lot growing up. So the thing that I learned was that sometimes the very thing that I considered to be a blessing, the thing that I prayed for, was really just a distraction. You know, there's tons of stuff. I mean, you can look behind me here and here. These are two things right here that I really wanted, and I thought having these tools, and that's how I, it's kind of how I, you know, I, I, I made the pill go down a little easier by saying, well, these are investments, and these will be used for this and that. But really, it's because I wanted it. Right? I didn't need, I don't need two guitars. Um, so, so what you find out is when you finally attain whatever that thing is that you're long, that you're longing for, as far as possessions here, you realize like, oh, this isn't even really that great. Uh, it's really just a distraction. It's a distraction. It's, it's not a blessing at all. Now I'll tell you something that I'm trying to work on right now. And that is simplifying my life. Now, part of it is a choice, and part of it is not. Um, as a college student, tuition is not cheap, so money's got to come somewhere to pay for school. It's a priority, so guess what? That's why I now only have two guitars when I had about five or six at one time and, and a couple of amps and things. So I've simplified my life, and you know what I've realized? I really don't miss that stuff. Um I had another computer, not this one that I'm using. Um, I had another one at one time, and I couldn't, I, I could, 
uh, it killed me to even think about selling it because it was a special edition one and what you know it's what I wanted and I was able to get it but then I'm, I'm not even kidding I, I I paid for for some classes with the money that I made from that and I could not remember by the end of the, sem- of the semester what I used to pay for the semester um, so that goes to show that it's you know this stuff really really doesn't matter um, you know I have a bunch of stuff I do and do you know it comes with more stuff more problems more hassles um, you know I'm thankful for it don't, I don't want you to misunderstand me. I'm very thankful for the things that I have. Um, I don't want to seem un, unappreciative about it. God has blessed me with with quite a bit. But every new thing you get, before you know it, it's got to be fixed. It's got to be serviced. And if nothing else, it requires time and attention that you'll have to pull away from something else to devote to that thing. You know, Um or now you have debt. Maybe you have payments that you can't really afford. I mean, there's so with new stuff, there's new problems. And when we really stop and think about it, it's it's gluttony. It's it's gluttony. It's a gluttonous attitude that we have. Um, now I struggle with gluttony when it comes to food. Um, I mean, I have. I've struggled with it my whole life. And I just had to stop justifying it and blaming it on genetics and all this. It's, I overindulge because that's what I want to do. And now I have to deal with that. Thankfully, I seem to have it mildly under control unless there's Oreos in the house. Um, but gluttony involves more than just food, right? Gluttony can be in excess of all kinds of things. Um, so if what you have isn't enough... It may be because a sinful attitude and the way that you're treating your wealth. Now, I'm not saying that absolutely is the case, but let, let me say that again. If, if what you have does not seem like enough, it very well could be because of a sinful attitude and the way that you're treating the wealth that God has given you. You know, none of us, any of you that are watching, that are semi-local or that know me, um, know that we that we are blessed more blessed we are rich in comparison to most people um crazy oddly enough uh i have several viewers and listeners in ghana hello from north alabama and germany hello i can't say hello in either one of those languages but thank you for listening um and i'm sure some of those people may know some people or they may be those people that know real poverty so you know i mean if i were to just grab this camera and to show you the stuff in this room that it takes to put this together it's a pretty large investment um you know i've got a computer here i've got a computer there i've got a camera here lots got audio equipment i got mics i got headsets i got all kinds of stuff and really it's none of it is required to do this um so it's a reminder to me that these are luxuries, right? These are luxuries, uh, and it's because God has blessed me with them, so I need to use them wisely. So it boils down to this. What kind of understanding um, do you have? 
in regards to when we die, do we really know and believe that what we've accumulated isn't going to mean anything? Right? So, so when we die, all of this stuff means nothing. It means nothing. Now, we could definitely use it for something, but what I mean is all of the stuff you've accumulated means nothing. And, and to make you feel even worse, all, all of the stuff that you have accumulated when you die will go to somebody else that didn't work for it. So what matters is where you have placed your faith and who you've put your hope and trust in. So when he says you have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury, you have fattened your hearts as in a day of slaughter. We've prepared ourselves. We've prepared ourselves in such a way that we've become the fattened calf. So I want to read these five verses one more time. He says, come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Repent. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. And this is what I was discussing about the judges. This is that money exchanging hands here, them controlling the courts. You have heaped up treasure in your last days, or I'm sorry, in the last days. Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept and you kept it back by fraud, they cry out. And the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of the Sabbath. You have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury. You have fattened your hearts as in a day of slaughter. So for those of you who are wealthy, um, even even in America's standards, okay, um, for those of you who have extra uh there's nothing wrong with that. But ask yourself, and for those of us who really, I mean, let's just be transparent here. For those of us who, who, who work an eight to five type job or whatever, and even if you do live paycheck to paycheck, if you live in America, you're probably very blessed. If you're watching this or listening to this, you're either watching on YouTube, probably on a smartphone or a smart TV or a tablet, right? Or you're listening to this on a smartphone or TV or a tablet of some kind, which shows that you have excess. So if, if, if we need to ask ourselves a couple of questions, how did we get that wealth? Was it in a sinful way? You know, did we cheat people? Did we lie and steal? Basically, I mean, now listen. If you if you lie about how how much you know about your hours of work, that's stealing. So so did you accumulate your wealth through unrighteousness? Because remember, Deuteronomy and Jeremiah both talked about how like the dangers of that. It's very serious. But maybe you didn't. Maybe you accumulated it in a way or through a job or through a position that God has blessed you with and granted you with so that you can further his kingdom. Okay, now what does your attitude with that wealth look like? What does your attitude about that wealth look like? Are you are you taking care of your family first? Or are you, you know, are you spending it on yourself before your family? You know, I'll just... 
I know we don't have money for groceries this week, but you know, I got 10 bucks in the bank, so I'm going to buy lunch today. That's not the wise thing. Telling you from experience here, unfortunately. Um, but not only that, do you gripe about your job or your pay? You know, I, I have this happen all the time at work is that people will gripe about how much they get paid. Um, and unfortunately, because I work in uh, the government, it's it's public knowledge of what people make. Like you can look it up. Anyway, that's another thing. So people will gripe about it. They're like, I can't believe I only make this much. And I'm like, didn't you agree to that? You know, because I did. Whenever I got hired in, they told me what the pay was. And I said, yes, I accept. So now you're complaining about that? What does that attitude show? Or, you know, what What does that say about you? Are you being ungrateful of the gift that God has given you? Um, are you really compl- going to complain about that? Um, my brother and I, my brother John that lives out in Denver, we were actually discussing this uh, last night on the phone. Um, it, it's amazing to see that some of... Um, my brother's a very smart individual. Of, uh, um, I mean, he, he really is. He's one of the smartest people I know. And, you know, we were talking about uh, different jobs and things. And and he's kind of tried a little bit of everything um, as far as, like, employment. He's he's tried sales. You know, he, he ran a martial arts school, a few of them, actually. Um, you know, he, he's, he's done some pretty wide stuff. He's done a little bit of everything. I mean, he worked in a foundry. He worked in fill in the blank and he kind of felt trapped in a way you know like he's getting because John has a very creative and artistic kind of mind um so so he kind of feels felt trapped at times in these positions and and I can relate to that um you know and for those of you watching maybe you can maybe and I think this I'm, I'm this is speculative here but as a man, I think that might happen a little more frequently because your whole life and movies and games and TV shows and, and uh, books, uh, especially these big fantasy books, um, you're, you're kind of led to believe that I am meant for more. You know, I'm meant to do something great. Um, I'm meant to do something that I love I should be able to do something that I love and make make a living wage doing that, um, and make no mistake that is that is a possibility. But you know, we were, my brother and I were talking, and he's working a sales job right now, um, which he's uh, excelling in. He's doing really well with that. Um, and for those of you who know that know me, uh, you know what I do. But if you don't, I work I work for the state of Alabama. I'm a, a bridge inspector for the state of Alabama. And it's not, you know, it's a, it's a pretty cool job. I get to work outside and stuff. The pay isn't just fantastic. The benefits are pretty good. Um, but here's what it came down to. Would I like to be able to do something, you know, big and creative and stuff like that with, uh, in order to make my living? Well, sure. Um, you know, that says a lot right there. I'm a, I love playing guitar. I would love to be able to do that for a living. But... Um, at what cost? You know, um, he was he was talking to me about 
uh, me pursuing my black belt in jiu-jitsu because I'd made it pretty far uh, through the ranks, basically. And he said, I would love to see you get your black belt in jiu-jitsu. And I, I said, I would love to have it. You, you have no idea how much it would mean for me to be able to, to achieve that goal. I said, but here's the deal. There's a lot other things that I would love much more than that. I would love to be a good father to some great kids and great adults. I would love to be a, a, a great husband. I would love to be a devout Christian. I would love to be a good friend. I would love to be a good employee. I'd love one day to be able to be a, a great supervisor. Um, I would love one day to be able to, you know, to be a great teacher. Uh, I would love to finish my degree. And because of that, my, the, that sh- those are my priorities, you know. So I, I would love to have those things more. So right now, the position that I'm, I'm in, um, professionally, it accommodates those things. You know, I, I, I go into work and, and get off work at basically the same time every day. I almost never have to work a weekend. I, I have so much freedom with my position with such a great supervisor that I could basically take off work for any reason whatsoever. Um, you know, so I never have to miss anything with my kids or with my wife. You know, I can, I can go to every doctor's appointment. I can go to every ball game. I can attend all these things. I can and, and not ever miss out. So right now I work professionally at a job that pays my bills and it still provides me with the freedom to be able to pursue those other things that I love. So when I weigh those things out, I'm in it, you know, I'm, I'm blessed. Seems like not as impactful of a word. I wish I had a better, better vocabulary here. You know, I, I am, I'm blessed beyond measure to be able to be a part of these things. So when I say, when you look at your wealth, it doesn't only or merely mean how much money you have in the bank. But when, you know, I heard Mickey Hunt uh, tell Luther Walker, which is my wife's grandfather. He's my pawpaw. He said, that's the richest man I've ever seen. And if if you were to talk to pawpaw, um, you know, he's he wasn't ever well off. He had to work hard for what they have. He had to, um, I mean, he and his wife, Mama Sandra, hello, if you're watching. Um, they both had to work very hard, very diligently, and they had to make big sacrifices in order to have what they have. But you know what they have? They have a family that loves them. They have grandkids that love them and they're a part of their lives. They have great grandkids that love them and are a part of their lives. And, and, and they really want for nothing. So when someone like Mickey looks at him and he says, that's the richest man I've ever seen, that speaks volumes. That shows somebody that understands wealth. And, and Luther is one of those people he understands what he has and he doesn't take it for granted. So when I look at my wealth, I don't I don't merely look at my bank account, but I look at my circumstances and my situation and and how everything is taken care of and how I want for nothing. Um, I certainly could be a better steward with what I have. Um, but our attitude here, James is just, is wanting us to examine not only how we attain the wealth 
that's an all-encompassing word there, that we have, how did we attain that? Was it by sinful means? And then, if not, what does our attitude look like towards that wealth? Is it selfish? Is it self-serving? Is it self-loving? Or is it good and righteous and holy and glorifying Jesus Christ and his name in some way? Because when it comes down to it, on the day that you die and the day that you are face to face with the most high God he's not going to be concerned with our accumulation of things but with our hearts our the intentions of our hearts and who we put our faith hope and trust in that's what matters thank you so much for joining me this week I appreciate you guys um, bearing with me. Uh, we will probably not wrap up Chapter 5 next week. I figure we'll have two more weeks in Chapter 5. There's some. There's a bit. Verse 6 has a lot in it. Um, when we get to the end of the chapter, there's really some, there's going to be some discussion there. Uh, so I figure probably about two more weeks, and we'll be wrapping up Chapter 5 of James. Uh, if you are new, please subscribe to the channel. Uh, hit the like button. Leave a comment down below. Hit the notification bell. All the little buttons you see around you, just click them until you hear dings and stuff until you get annoyed to death. Um, let me know what you want to cover after James, um, what you would like to go through. Um, but with that, again, thank you so much. I hope you have a fantastic week, and I will see you back here next week. Thank you.